Hey to, uh, great to be with you uh, again. If uh, I don't know you, uh, my name is Josh, uh, and I'm one of the ministers at the Capella Bar Congregation, particularly look after the evening service. Um, and uh, it's great to be able to kind of come and visit. I think this is the second time here. And we're really, I'm really excited uh, with you guys to uh, look forward to the public launch uh, in November. Uh, and definitely there's going to be uh, some people from my congregation, Night Church, who are going to be there. So we look forward to that. But we're um, looking at this passage in Corinthians, which is particularly the verses uh, directed at slaves and masters. So chapter 3, 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, and this is kind of the end of what uh, is often called Paul's household code, um, which might seem strange to us uh, that Paul would address slaves. But in first century uh, homes, uh, mum and dad kids, uh, and also slaves who would kind of serve in their homes. So that's why they're included here. Uh, this, I think, is a passage that often we Western kind of 21st century people find difficult to understand. So we're going to pray uh, and ask that God would help us. Let me do that. Uh, loving God, Lord, we pray, uh, pray and give thanks to you that you can speak to us uh, and we can read your word. Lord, we, we thank you even for those parts of your word that we find difficult that challenge our thinking. And so today, Lord, I pray uh, that there would be an eagerness from us to hear you and to understand your words. Lord, I pray that you'd guard us uh, from when we uh, seek to resist your word and give us a softness, Lord, that your spirit would be at work in us, uh, not only eager to understand, but also to apply. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, when I uh, was a little uh, kid, uh, much kind of the age of some of the kids who were here today, uh, I, I think I can remember the first time I prayed. I was watching a game of basketball, uh, and my team, the Perth Wildcats, were losing, and my prayer was pretty simple. It went something like, Dear God, help my team to win. That was kind of it. Not very complicated. I just wanted my team to win. They were losing, uh, and so I wanted them to win. And that kind of indicated something of how I understood God. God's job was to kind of make my life enjoyable. He was to kind of get me, and in this case my basketball team, out of a tough situation. So you can imagine my surprise when not only did my team sit further behind, but they ended up losing the game. Um, I, at that stage, didn't think that was the way God operated. Now, that might seem small to you, but it was kind of a fundamental moment in my mind and my thinking about God. Doesn't God just want my life to go well? Doesn't he want to get me out of a tough situation? So if I just follow Jesus, if I just trust him, that's what he'll do. Uh, I think, in reality, that is how a lot of people, not just uh, Christians, uh, but just a lot of Australians actually think about God. God's job is to make my life easier, it's to get me out of a tough situation. And I reckon that kind of way of thinking would have been very appealing to a first century slave too. Uh, you're a first century slave, many heard the gospel preached, they became Christians, and you can imagine they'd be thinking, well, life is about to turn, take a turn for, for the better, because Listen to what Paul says to slaves in chapter 3, verse 11. You've got your Bibles in uh, Colossians there. 
Uh, here's what he says. He says, here there is no Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So did you hear that? He's saying, no, in Christ there's no slave or free. Those categories, those categories don't exist in Christ. So if you're hearing that as a slave, you'd be thinking, great. This whole slavery thing is going to be done away with. Life is going to get easier. So is that what Paul goes on to say? Well, as we've had read out in these verses of uh, chapter 3, uh, 22 to 4 verse 1, Paul has a word to slaves and masters. And I actually think what he says helps us to kind of partly answer that question of whether God really does always seek to get us out of a tough spot. And I think these words could have become quite shock to slaves. And so what we're going to do this morning is simply, um, I'm going to simply take us through the verses. There's like five or six verses there. We're going to go through them. Then we're going to look at two challenges. Uh, the challenge, which is, why doesn't Paul just abolish slavery? Why doesn't he just say, let's get rid of it? And the second challenge is, how does it apply to us? This kind of first century situation, we find very hard to map onto our lives. How does it apply to us? So that's what we're going to do. So let's go through the the, the passage firstly. Uh, Paul uh, is addressing in this part of the household code slaves and masters. And in both to both groups of people, he gives a simple command and then he gives a motivation to following the command. So what does he say to slaves? Well, he says simply this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, as I've said, I think... Some slaves, that would have come as a bit of a shock because Paul's just said, no, there's no slave in Christ. Why am I to obey my earthly masters? But that's exactly what he says, isn't it? And, and what Paul calls for is not a doing away of a slave obeying their master. It's actually a deepening of slaves obedience to master. Because he says there, do it in everything. Uh, see, you and I know that there are certain jobs that we do uh, that we just would rather not do. There are certain jobs that we kind of think, yeah, that's a great job, don't mind doing that. Uh, but there are others we just don't want to do. So take my little daughter, Yasmin, beautiful little girl, four years old. She loves sitting up on the kitchen, kitchen bench with me cutting up mushrooms. I give her a blunt knife, of course. Um, but she loves that job. Uh, but this morning when I asked Yasmin to put away her cousin's uh-uh, that's not going to happen. She puts up a fair bit of resistance to that. Uh, and it's the same for us, isn't it? There are some things we love doing, there are some things we don't love doing, or don't love being told to do. And you can imagine we've been saying for slaves. No, those categories don't exist of what you kind of like to do and what you don't like to do. Only doing those things. You need to serve and be obedient to us. isn't everything. This is a genuine type of obedience. He goes on. He says... And do it not only when the master's eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You know, there is that sense that we have just to kind of please the people that are above us. So we'll do what we need to do when their eye is on us. But when it's not, well, we'll kind of happily do whatever we want. You know, it's kind of played out um, by Steve, Steve and Felicity in the, in the, in the skit. When Felicity's eye was on him, he would do the work, but when it was off him, no, he wouldn't. 
Paul says, no, that's not how you as a slave are to live. You are to live this genuine obedience, a deep obedience. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the type of life that people in the Old Testament are called to live when they look at the ant. You know in the book of Proverbs where Paul is talking, not Paul, where the writer of Proverbs is talking about who to look for as a good worker, he points us to ants. And he, the reason for this is Proverbs 6 verse 7, the ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer. See, ants don't need somebody to tell them what to do, they just get on and do it. That's the kind of thing Paul is calling the slave to do when it comes to their masters. So there's the instruction, there's the command. Genuine obedience to your master. Now, what's the motivation? Well, there's a key to the motivation, particularly in how often Paul mentions the word Lord. Uh, have a look in verse 22. They're to work with reverence for the Lord. Verse 23, verse 23, they're to work with all their heart as working for the Lord. Verse 24, it's the Lord they're serving. Now, when he's using the word Lord there, he's not talking about their earthly master, he's talking about Jesus. How is it that a slave can obey an at times terrible master? Well, they need to see their work in a different way. Their obedience to their master is an obedience to Jesus, he's saying. Now, that fundamentally changes the way a slave thinks about their work. Their work isn't just menial, insignificant, and at times dirty jobs. It's actually a service of Jesus, the worship of Jesus. Uh, it kind of reminds me, we, we see this kind of thing play out uh, in human relationships. Um, you know, think of the young late teenage, early 20-something bloke who's living at home uh, and his mum has a lot of trouble getting him to clean his room, to wear clean clothes. Uh, and no matter how often she asks, it just doesn't kind of get done. And then all of a sudden, a girl comes on the scene. And well, he wants to make sure that when she's visiting the house, she sees his room, it's clean. He wants to kind of impress her with clean clothes. So again, his kind of clothing improves. Now, he's been obedient to mum. He's doing what she wants. But he's not primarily doing it for her, is he? He's doing it for this girl. And this is exactly the same kind of thing that Paul is putting forth to the slaves in his church. He's saying, hey, you might have a terrible master. But your obedience isn't primarily to them, it's to Jesus. When you obey your earthly master, you're obeying him. And that just elevates their work, doesn't it? It's not me, it's not insignificant. It's worship. So that's the primary motivation he gives them. But there are two other ones in verse 24 and 25. We'll look at it quickly. There's the motivation of reward and punishment. Uh, so slaves who are obedient have this inheritance awaiting for them, he says in verse 24. But slaves who are disobedient will be repaid for their wrong. So that's Paul's instruction to slaves. Obey your earthly masters with genuine obedience because you're serving Jesus. That's the first instruction. Now he moves to masters. Again, there's a command and then there's a motivation given. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, 
Provide your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, uh, again, command and motivation. Command is give them, provide for them what is right and fair. What, what, what is right? What, what, is, what are they actually to give them that is right? What's well, to give them what they owe them, what is due them? If they owe them money, if the master owes a slave money, give them money. If he owes them food, give them food. If he owes them sleep, give them sleep. Give them what is right. But not only give them what is right, give them what is fair. Be even-handed with your slaves. Don't be mean-spirited with them. Don't show favourites. Don't be vindictive. Now, Paul is actually not saying that they can't hold their slaves to account. So a slave just didn't do what was uh, what was asked for. They could hold them to account for that, but they certainly couldn't do that unfairly or mean-spiritedly. And why? Why are they to act this way? Well, it's because in chapter four, verse one, they have they also have a master in heaven. See, masters are people under authority themselves. And what have they received from their heavenly master? Well, they have received infinitely better than what is right and fair. They've received grace. They've received mercy. They've received care and love. And so if that is what their master has shown them, surely they can give what is right and fair to their earthly slaves. So there is simply how a Christian household with slaves and masters should function. But there are still two challenges for us readers, aren't there? That's what we're going to deal with now. But there's a challenge of, well, why doesn't Paul just abolish slavery? Why doesn't he just tell masters to free your slaves? <coughs> um, now, I'm going to just kind of give a few thoughts on that. But before I do that, I simply say, hey, look, there isn't really a necessarily a neat answer to that. What I say perhaps would still be a little bit dissatisfying for you. But here are some thoughts. Um, I think when we think about slavery, our minds go to the African slave trade of the 1700s. We think about, you know, uh, the, 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 the movie Amazing Grace and those horrific images of, of African people thrown on ships, whipped, bound, all that terrible, awful stuff. Now, now, when we think about first century slavery, it's not actually the same thing as 17th century African slavery. There, there are certainly... Some things that overlap, but they're not entirely the same thing. Um, first century slavery wasn't aimed at a particular race of people. Um, it was a way that most people paid off their debts. They went into slavery to pay off a debt. Uh, and the work you could do could kind of include being a doctor, or an administrator, kind of jobs that we think have a fair bit of credibility about them. Um, now, that certainly doesn't mean that there couldn't have been abuse and cruelty. I'm sure there was. But we need to be careful we do not read the 17th century slave trade that Wilberforce abolished into first century households. It's not, uh, it doesn't map, on, the one doesn't map onto the other particularly well. But you still might be thinking, yeah, but Josh, still slavery. Isn't any slavery wrong? Why didn't Paul just ask for it to get rid of? Well, for me, the most satisfying answer is simply this. What we read in these verses isn't Paul's attempts to give a moral judgment on slavery. What we, what we read here is simply his, his words to households that had masters and slaves in them. 
So in these verses, we're not hearing what Paul actually thinks about slavery. What we're hearing is just, hey, if you were in this station as a master or a slave, here is what it means to live in that station as a Christian. Um, Now, that being said, I'm not today going to say that uh, Christians shouldn't be involved in abolishing slavery. Modern day slavery, that is a good thing. We celebrate blokes like Wilkins. I'm simply saying that the question of why Paul didn't do that isn't something that we can get from this passage necessarily. What we can understand about Paul, though, is in that passage in 1 Corinthians 7, he did say, hey, look, remain as you are if you're a slave, but if you can get your freedom, do it. He's not against slaves being free. But I think he's also just understanding that it doesn't necessarily always happen. So there are some thoughts. Uh, and we can chat about uh, that a little bit more afterwards if you're interested in doing that. So there's the first challenge. Um, second challenge, how, does it, how, how do we apply it to ourselves? What are, what are these verses that seem so foreign to us? How do they apply to us? Uh, well, three points of application. The first just goes back to the question I mentioned in the introduction. That does following Jesus just mean that God will lift us out of any tough situation that we find ourselves in? Well, I think the answer to this passage is no. He might, but he doesn't necessarily have to. Paul, to first century slaves who found themselves in a tough situation, is basically saying, no, obey your masters. In 1 Corinthians 7, he's saying, remain as you are. See, I, I think it's tempting, isn't it, to, to kind of believe that when we trust Jesus, when we want to follow God, well, surely he wants me to be out of a difficult situation. And I, I certainly think that it's something we can definitely pray for. But there's certainly no guarantee that he will. What, what we're being called to is to live faithfully to Jesus in that situation. And so for you, it might just be that your family, extended family, maybe family, whatever it is, there's just a lot of dysfunction in it. It's hard. Uh, and to be honest, you'd kind of much rather just cut ties and be done with it. Well, there is another way being put forward here. And that is to live faithfully in that situation. Again, it's not to say you can't pray for things to change. To live faithfully, to love people in that situation. Perhaps it might be financial hardship. Again, there's no guarantee given in Scripture that God will necessarily get you out of that. But He does provide us all the resources we need to live faithfully in that situation. As Josh said, remember at the beginning of these verses, Paul says to Christians, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is where our life is. And we live in this world, the earthly world, faithfully to that. Um, so that's the first point of application. Two, two other ones, the second and the third, relate to the workplace or relate to school. Uh, so if you're a young one here and you kind of go to school, um, this has something to say to you. Um, the first thing is that there are just some principles that we can use. If we find ourselves at school in a workplace under authority. So for kids at school, you are under the authority of a teacher. Uh, for the rest of us in our workplaces, we are the, under the authority of our boss. And there are just some principles that we can use out of this passage 
How do we live as Christians in that? And it's pretty simple, really. We just got to do what we're told. Um, one of the things I often get asked as a minister is, Josh, I love what I hear on Sundays. I love being together as God's church, but just give me something that I can live out on Monday when I'm in the office. And I think this gives us a pretty good thing to live out. When you're at work, it is just a really good Christian thing to do your job well. Do your job well, irrespective of whether you have a good boss. Be a good student at school, irrespective of whether you like your teacher or not. Now that can be a challenge, there's no doubt about that. But there's a principle that Paul is laying down here. And, and I think it's a very powerful principle because... Workplaces and school environments can be pretty toxic at times. There can be bad relations between bosses and workers, workers and bosses. And Paul is simply just saying there is something of your worship, something of your obedience to Jesus that is simply bound up in doing your job well, getting your assignments done, handing them on time, rocking up when your you know, job starts at 9 o'clock, rocking up on time, finishes at 5, not leaving before. Now, uh, that sounds like pretty simple stuff, but I reckon in our workplaces and schools, it would be pretty radical. Uh, I used to live in a workplace where a bloke rocked up at 10 and left at 3 just about every day so he could fit in his surfing. Uh, and that was kind of normal um, for him. Paul calls us to something different, doesn't he? We are under a teacher, a boss live and do what we are told. So that's if, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a student or if you're a, a worker. But what if, if you've got people working under you? This is the kind of place that we're going to finish. It may well be that you run an apartment, you teach, all these types of things. What, what, what is this calling you to do? Well, it's simply calling you to treat those under you and give to them what is right and fair. Don't show favouritism amongst your work colleagues. Don't show favouritism among your students. If your work, if your workers, if you owe them money, give them money. If you owe them holidays, give them holidays. Uh, one of the ways I think this could particularly apply to Christian bosses is that at this time in, in, in kind of our society, the line between work and home is very blurred. And I think one of the ways that a Christian boss can just give their employees what is right and fair is just respect that line. Um, that's not to say that there might be instances where a boss might need to call their employee after hours. But I think there's just something really good if a Christian boss actually says, okay, they're finished for the day. I'm going to treat them as right and fair. I don't have kind of any input in their life till they're back in the office at 9 o'clock. The temptation is to send emails, phone calls. I think one of the ways Christian bosses can be thinking is just simply respecting work, life and home. And I think this has the power to really change and shape workplaces uh, if Christians live this out well. So um, what we're going to do now is we're going to spend some time praying that we do that. Let's do that. Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise and give thanks to you for even parts of your word which are, are difficult to understand and not immediately applicable to us. And Father, as we've thought about Paul's words to slaves and masters in the first century. Lord, we pray, I pray that you'd help us to think wisely 
about how we live today. Guard us from thinking that you would only ever pull us out of a tough situation. Father, I pray that one of the things that we do is seek to live faithfully to you in that tough situation. Father, I pray for those here who are employers, uh, who are teachers, who have people working under them. I ask that you would shape their hearts that they would know that they are people under Jesus and they have received generously what is right and fair and that they would treat their students and, and, and workers with what is right and fair. And Father, for those who are, are employees and students, I pray that you create genuine obedience in them. And Lord, that that would be done out of service to your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. I'll just make one more time because we've this time. Will you stand please with some response?